So you mentioned that you've had some fun times drinking. What are some of the shenanigans you've run into while drinking or because of drinking? I don't I don't know if I'm willing to uh put that on tape because of uh legal reasons, but no, I just think like are you saying your friends are litigious. <laughs> um I think it's just fun to like I I don't know. I'm not a very big singer. I'm not a very big music guy. I I have a lot of trouble with lyrics. Unless the song is actively playing, I I can't recite lyrics to songs very well. Even songs I've listened to a million times. But, like, there are some songs, like Come On Eileen, which are just, like, fucking party songs. Like, if you get a whole room full of people who are just white drunk people. out of their mind. Yeah, white people, am I right? Uh, <laughs> Especially with Come On Eileen. Yeah, and like you're just all just belting it out. Like a, a song like that where you can all just fucking go nuts. I, I would say like that's a that's a pretty good time. That's a pretty good time. How about you? Is there anything that sticks out? You know, for me, because I often get sick before I get really drunk, I don't have that many drunk stories. I I do remember that the, the most wasted I've ever gotten without throwing up a bunch was I, I had this really, I was young enough to think that it was really smart to just drink all night before I had a very early flight. Uh, I thought, well, well, if the flight is at 4 or 5 a.m., then we should just stay out all night and we'll drink and then I'll, I'll come home and I'll, I'll go on the plane and I'll sleep on the plane. Right. You know, cl- clear, flawless, young person logic. Yeah. A perfect uh, plan. Well, perfect, maybe not perfect, but a good plan. It was perfect until I yeah. actually got home and we had to leave in 20 minutes. And I was so drunk that I couldn't change my own clothes. And so my very good friend at the time helped me by undressing me and putting on fresh new clothes on me so I could stumble out the door and get into the cab to the airport. Uh, but that is the only time in my life that I was so wasted that I couldn't even dress myself. Huh. That is. <laughs> but I it, didn't they, make it to the airport. But you sobered up enough by the time you got to the airport that they let you on? Because they won't let you on a plane drunk. Yes. No, I I did. I did make it. You know, I, I hydrated. Yeah. I, I slept during that that ride to the airport. I, I made it through security, um, but I I was very very <laughs> drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of my my best drunk stories would take up too much of our podcast time. Ah, and I am extremely curious to know to to find out what you think about this movie because it's a movie. All right, let's take the shots. 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 Shots.
This is Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira, and I'm a fan of romantic comedies. I'm Brett, and I am a fan of horror movies. Oh, that's really cool, Brett. You know, <laughs> thank you. Each, each week here at Necromancer, Brett picks a horror movie. I pick a rom com. We make each other watch those movies, and then we like to flip flop them around and turn the rom com into a horror and the horror into a rom com. This week, we are continuing our theme of alcohol. That's right. Down Which the neither hatch. of us particularly love very much. Nope. Not not alcoholics. But, you know, you did mention, uh, and I do feel this is a missed opportunity. We'll have to see if others feel so as well, that we could have recorded this podcast drunk as we talked about alcohol. That would have been interesting. that opportunity. That do you think that would have been a good idea or was that just a... a Uh, just a fantasy of the moment i think it's a good idea but it's also a terrible idea um it's a good idea in theory probably but yeah i don't know well hopefully eventually people will listen to this and say i want to chime in on that And you can email us and tell us, we do want you to do a drunk cast. We do want to hear you talk about these movies while wasted. While I probably would spend the entire time burping and making us pause the podcast so I could go pee. I would go on. I do have a very small bladder. So when I drink, I have to go every five minutes. It sucks. that does bring me to one question I have. You are a beer drinker, even though you aren't that much of a drinker. How do people get drunk off of beer? Because I feel like with beer, I pee faster than I can get drunk from beer. Yeah, you just gotta you just gotta keep them coming. You know what I mean? It's it's it a, just seems you have to work so hard. You do. You do, but well, it depends. If if you go for the nicer beers, I had, I, I had not drank in quite a while, and then I had two beers at a at a restaurant once with my parents, and I did not. I I, I was pretty you ready new. for those craft beers. Uh, yeah, those craft beers. I I had not had anything like what what these were, and after two beers, I felt. Whew, I felt knocked out, man. I was like, oh my god, I haven't felt this way in a while, but um. Yeah, if you're just going off of, I don't know, Bud Light or Miller Light or what Keystone Light, <laughs> if you're just at college just trying to get drunk, yeah, you just pound just them down. It's yeah, unless That's you're shotgunning beers, it's not possible to get drunk off of Natty Light or Keystone. Well, that's Light. why they have drinking games. That's why you you that's why you you have a drinking environment of rowdy people who just like every time you know new beer new cheer glug 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 oh you you know you you put this in your left hand instead of your right hand take a drink oh you, let's play a card game you flip 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 oh, oh you, you drink. have to oh, wear the hat now yeah. that means you drink more yeah so you just you just and then the more you drink and the drunker you get that's when like i i have this thing where after two beers i, I mean i just put a, a limit on it of like two where like after two beers, I have that switch that gets flicked where I'm like, I want 20 beers. You know what I mean? Like I have, I have no filter after two. So if I have two, I'm like, all right, this is cool. I can hang out. 
And I feel um, like after two beers, I'm like, oh, my stomach is so full of beer right now. How am I going to make no, I room? Succumb, I succumb to peer pressure pretty easy. So I, I put a limit on it. Now I, I'm two. I'm two and I'm done. Uh, I, I have the discipline. I, think, I respect that. I think I'm at your parties, like, you know, I can I can break my rule. I can go to three or four if I'm, you know, like I'm not a, a crazy maniac. But in like a party setting, once the party gets going, if I have more than two, I'm like, and once that third one goes down, I'm like, all right, let's go for 40 beers. I'm never going to sleep again. <laughs> I'm just going to be drunk for the rest of my life. I'm going to be like Hunter S. Thompson. Um, yeah. So beer. Beer indeed. So tell me about your history with habit. Well, so as we talked about on the last podcast, uh, we both had never seen Arthur and we felt that that was a cinematic classic and that we had to cross it off the list. So I went with alcohol as the theme. So of course I type in horror movies about alcoholism and the most thing that pops up is movies about alcoholism, which is not what I wanted. So I did manage to find one good blog. I think it was on like Dread Central that was like movies about alcoholism that are horror movies. And there were two that stuck out. One was a movie called Grabbers, which is a movie that a friend had mentioned to me a while, like years ago, probably like eight years ago or whatever. And it's a movie about tentacles and the tentacles won't attack you if you're drunk because it's like allergic to the alcohol. So these people on an oil rig have to drink all the beer so they can fight off the tentacle monsters. And I was like, that sounds fun, but this movie Habit sounds interesting. And it sounds like the kind of movie I would never watch if it weren't for this podcast. And so I, I, it has I looked an artsy IFC kind of feel to it. Yeah. And so I looked up Larry Fessenden and he's got a really good horror movie track record. Like he's got he's some in like a good... hundred horror movies. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll give this guy a shot. Right. Like it'll be interesting at the, at the worst I can say, all right, I watched this dumb movie, but um, yeah, it was not anything like I thought it would be but I didn't even know what to expect to begin with. So yeah, those kinds I, of movies are always, I kind of like that aspect when you're, when you go into a movie, not knowing what to, what to expect. And it still surprises you and you're like, Whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I, I even reading the description of the movie, I had no idea that it was going to be how it was. Like I, I thought maybe it'd be kind of like, uh, Jacob's Ladder, or um, yeah. or or uh, what's weird is I was reading Ebert's review of the movie and scanning through it. And look, I know that Ebert doesn't have a solid track record. I mean, he loved Speed Two, for example. So you can't always agree with him when it when it comes to the movies he loves. But what's interesting is I guess at the time that he reviewed habit, he had also given lost highway by David Lynch, a really poor review. And so Ebert didn't like lost highway. And apparently because he didn't like lost highway, a bunch of, you know, film nerds 
decided to uh, basically write him letters explaining Lost Highway to him. And he wrote in the review of Habit, he said, to those of you doing this to me, I encourage you to watch Habit because I do like gritty, weird movies. But to me, Habit is a more genuine movie than Lost Highway, which he called an exercise in finding meaning, which seems like a very Roger Ebert uh, critic way of talking about a movie. But I, so I went into this movie thinking, okay, so Ebert likes this better than Lost Highway. (laughs) Let's find out why. Uh, And there is a way in which it seems like Larry Fessenden understands himself and understands the kind of movie that he's capable of making that is interesting to me. I mean, do I think it's better than Lost Highway? Do I think it's better than some of the movies I've seen David Lynch make? Uh, I don't know. I might have to disagree with Ebert on that one. I I mean, I did not like Lost Highway the first time I saw it. It went completely over my head, but... It's so nutty. But I do kind of agree with him in the sense that, like, Lost Highway probably, as, as a film critic, especially as Ebert, he's probably seen a shit ton of movies, right? And so he, he probably... Hab- he liked Habit a lot. Right. But he probably has exposure to more movies that are like Lost Highway knockoffs. So by the time Lost High, like David Lynch knockoffs, so by the time Lost Highway came around, he's like, I- I- I'm over it. You know what I mean? And Lost Highway does kind of have that pretentious kind of like, you know, it's weird on purpose kind of thing. Whereas this movie does have this genuity. Is that a word? Genuinity? It, it is very genuine. And it's also more of a, of a stripped down... Re- I mean, I guess if we were going to get all film schooly, I would be like, it's more like the Italian neo-realists, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's trying to it's trying to be more gritty and real, like what it would actually be like if you thought you might have a girlfriend who's a vampire and how realistically yeah. people would react to that scenario, which is, dude, you're crazy. Uh, are you familiar with the Dogma 95 movement? A little bit. It's Lars von Trier, right? Yeah, yeah. He was part of the group that "quote unquote" founded it. But the, the it feels very Dogma ninety five. Yeah, for people who don't know, Dogma ninety five is this sort of like indie filmmaker manifesto where they're like, we're we're only going to use a certain type of film, and we're only going to use the natural lighting, and we're only going to use ambient sound, and we're only, like, they basically put There's all these... There's so much ambient sound in Habit. Yeah, so they put all these restrictions on it where it's like, we're, you know, it's it's like trying to be genuine. And they want to be pure. Right. And they so reject did, the fabulism of Hollywood. <laughs> I did try to look up if this movie was part of the dogma 95 movement or inspired by it and i couldn't find anything either way but it came out at around that time and it does kind of fit that sort of indie filmmaker artsy vibe 
Well, there's all these cameos, like artsy cameos. I think Lenny is supposed to be this musician who I looked him up. He, he's, he's, he's some kind of nineties musician. And then I didn't notice it, but Kelly Reichardt was one of the people at the party. And she, if a director who's done, uh, I think she did Meek's cutoff uh and yeah. uh that movie that just came out first cow so another indie director who's kind of rubbed elbows with uh larry fessenden uh you know i don't know if you would reject this comparison but this movie reminded me a little bit of may uh, it did remind me of me. <laughs> it did. Lucky McKee and Larry Fessenden seemed like they would have good conversations. Yes. I'm sure that they would have gotten along very well together. Um, but yeah, this movie feels like it's part of a scene. I, I, don't, I don't know that it's... Yes, it's a scene. Particularly my scene. Uh, I feel like I'm These very... These people are way too cool for me. I feel like I was, for a couple years when I lived in Chicago, tangentially, briefly part of a scene that was maybe part of this scene. Like, I, 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 I skimmed the... I was a rock just skimming the surface of the scene, whatever the scene is. I, I, I never got under the surface on it, but I've it always feels, been an outsider of any scene. Yeah. It feels very much like it's inviting you into the scene. I think it does a great job of romanticizing this certain lifestyle without making you actually want to go out and live it. Um, oh God, no, his apartment <laughs> looks so cold. Yeah. <laughs> So should we should we get into it? Uh, one thing I do want to mention before we start, and I forget, is I thought both of these movies, Arthur and Habit, had a very good use of realistic-looking people. Yes. The people in these movies looked real. A, a lot of modern yeah, nobody's, movies... Nobody's a devastating beauty or handsome person in either of these movies. Right. E- even even the good looking people have a, a certain like it's it's not just the Hollywood bland like you said like you've said like hot guy factory or hot lady factory like just hot off the press straight out of the oven. It's it, it felt real. It, so I did kind of like like it it felt like his apartment. You know what I mean? Like it didn't feel like someone went in there and dressed up an apartment to look old. Like no, it was like no, this is this guy's apartment. Um, it kind of looked like Keith or Sutherland's apartment in Flatliners. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can see but, that. But yeah, as, as far as Larry Fessenden himself, as I said over Messenger, he looks like what would happen if Jack Nicholson and Tim Robbins had a child uh, and then somebody knocked out his front teeth. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he was a hockey player. He, he is not supposed to be attractive, 
and yet I'm extremely attracted to him. It's what I call, uh, I have a name for this phenomena. I call it the Brody factor, where if you described Adrian Brody to a blind person, they would be like, impossible. That person doesn't sound attractive at all. And I'd have to say, no, trust me, he is. Right. Where it's, you know, it shouldn't work. It really shouldn't work. Adrian Brody, as Sonia, your wife has said, looks like a human greyhound. Uh, it, it just, and, you know, it, and and Larry Fessenden in this movie should not be hot, but he has three women who are obsessed with him, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah, uh, I, I I did think, <laughs> as we said before the show, I did think he looked like what would happen if Sid from Toy Story got a hold of Jack Nicholson. I thought <laughs> he had a very Nicholson vibe. <laughs> Um, yes, no, the the receding hairline and yeah. arched eyebrows, but and crazy I mean, smile. and crazy smile, but um, the that face was all Tim Robbins. Um, <laughs> but but uh, so we we begin our movie on Halloween, uh, and Sam, his father, has recently died. He's broken up with his girlfriend. He's washing his pains away with alcohol. He decides to go to this Halloween party and he comes in wearing a uh, long nose mask and a feather. And he, I noticed this detail. He said he wanted to be Cyrano de Bergerac, who we've talked about on this podcast because Cyrano is this romantic figure. And instead, his friend Nick compares him to Pinocchio. I think. Also, long noses as kind of a phallic symbol is very out there. Like, here's a guy who's going desire first. He's mm-hmm. being led by his habits. Uh, so I, I thought that that was a nice little little touch. Um So he goes to Nick and Ray's apartment for this party. He meets this girl, Anna, there, and they decide to leave the party together. But then Sam realizes he left with the wrong coat. He tells Anna to wait for him while he goes back into the party, where, of course, he runs into his ex. Uh, And then when he goes out, he finds that Anna's no longer there. So, well, whoop, whoop, that's a mystery. So a few nights later, he's at this festival and he runs into Anna there and he ditches Nick and Ray to go hang out with Anna. And then they go on the Ferris wheel, even though Sam is afraid of heights. It's interesting to me. I I don't know about all the character choices when it came to Anna. It, It seems like, like he told her to play the character in the way that she plays the character. Um, you know, as far as the, the kind of choices she makes, how she reacts or doesn't react to things. And when he says he's afraid of heights, she doesn't react to that at all. And, and you know, they go on the Ferris wheel anyways. I think he kind of plays it off as like, hey, I'm afraid of heights, but it's not that big of a deal. You know, like it eh, was a big yeah. deal. But I, I think it's also kind of a relatable thing where if some lady was like, hey, let's do this together, and it wasn't really my kind of thing, I probably would be more open to it if, or more willing to try it if it was like a first or second date, and I kind of, like, I didn't want to say no. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't want to say no to her, because he doesn't want her to just leave again. So she asks him to go on this ride, 
and he's like, all right. You know, I, I felt like when he got in the seat, he was kind of like, well, I'm a little afraid of heights, but this, this will be fine. And then once they start going, he's like, whoa, this thing just doesn't stop. And he, I don't know. I, I felt that that was kind of relatable. There is something to, I think that there is this male fantasy of what a perfect woman would be like. And Anna is kind of this, you know, this flat character of what a guy says he wants in a woman. She's mysterious. She's not clingy. She shows up when you least expect it. She's always down to to fuck and, and do things. But there's also ways in which this thing that so many men say that they objectively want out of a woman, at the same time, they feel trapped and pinned down and forced into scary situations. Yeah, I think um, it is right before he meets her for that second time when he says, you know, like, I've been looking for this, for this girl, Anna, I've been looking for and looking for. And the fact that I can't trouble, I know the fact that he can't find her. He says like the fact that I can't find her is making her the perfect date in my mind. Like he's kind of aware. He's kind of self-aware of that fact. He's kind of already, he kind of knows that like, I'm projecting more onto her, but because we know, because we've read the description of this movie, we know this is a vampire movie. We know that vampires kind of have that mystique about them. So it kind of, you know, you, you've got to be willing to meet the movie halfway for sure. But I, I did, I got what the movie was going for at that point. Right. And it's his perspective. This isn't Anna's perspective. Right. Right. So I mean, as obvious as it is to us, it's meant to be, you know, I I would probably take a long time to realize that my boyfriend was a vampire <laughs> in this scenario. Um, but then they go to Battery Park and uh, Anna Wait, sticks her is, hand. <laughs> this is what I wrote in my notes, which is what I write every time I see this in a movie and I take notes. I can't read. Oh, boobies. Boobies. We get some boobies in the movie. We get some boobies. I mean, we get like a little flash of penis, but definitely not enough. Um, But, um, you know, Anna, again, fulfilling a male fantasy, immediately sticks her hand down his pants and jerks him off in Battery Park while they're kissing. And then she also bites his lip and sucks on his blood. Then he wakes up. He gets Donnie Darkoed. He's just, you know, lying on the grass, wondering what the hell happened. Very May, right? Biting the lip. Yes, you know, she's she's weird. She's <laughs> she's a weird girl. <laughs> I did. You know what I did think was specifically, because that is one of the things that really stuck out about May, right? Was like when people say, I like weird, but then it's like, well, not that weird. When people say like, oh, I like... Movie. I, I don't just want the same cookie cutter horror movie. I want da, 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 da. and then you show them a movie like Habit. I I bet you ten out of ten people would probably go, "This movie sucks." Right. You I, know mean, what I mean, if you go into it with the wrong expectation, but yeah, I think that this movie. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm I understand where this would be more appealing to someone versus Lost Highway, where it's. It's a little bit less pretentious 
in what it wants to do when it really, you know, wants to tell a story of what would this really be like if, if I were in this situation for better or worse, you know? Um, So yeah, there's not much about it. That's very fabulous, but it it works. And like I said, Sam is weirdly hot. Um, (laughs) He's got a vibe. He's got an aura. He has an aura. Um, So then Sam has a really busy work night. His friend Lenny has disappeared. And earlier we got a scene with Lenny where he talks about hooking up with this girl on the poop deck of her boat. It's just very, it's very silly. I did enjoy the humor of being him being the sound guy and him just being like, whatever uh, about the whole process. But it means that again, this movie is very normal, like a normal person. He has to cover Lenny's shift and it sucks. Um, and then when Sam leaves, he finds Anna outside waiting for him and he eats a nice big juicy burger while Anna watches. So Anna not into eating anything. Hmm. Wonder why. Uh, and then they go back to Sam's place. She asks to be invited in. Oh, <laughs> but also before we move on, quick little thing. I have a, I have a slight overbite. So uh-huh. when, I, when I eat stuff like burgers, if it's got lettuce and onions that are like, I, I have trouble chomping in nice clean strips. So a lot of times when I eat stuff, stuff will spill out. You know what I mean? And there's mm-hmm. a moment when Sam is eating the burger and something He's like, missing some front teeth too. Right. So something like spills out and she kind of looks at it and like gives a little laugh and he, he kind of acknowledges it by just kind of giving it a little nod. And I was thinking like, you know, most people probably wouldn't be able to really relate to the sloppiness of eating and like how she just brushes it off and how cute that is. And I was like, that's a really cute moment in this weird little movie. And then he starts licking the plate and I was like, oh. That was a hobo moment. That was that was an absolute hobo moment. And oh, yeah, Sam, what are you doing? Sam is a fucking animal. And he needs that blood. He likes it bloody. Likes it raw. Another reason why I'm like, I don't know how this is happening, how I'm attracted to this person in this movie. I've looked at pictures of Larry Fessenden now. He's not yeah. no no he's scary looking he's he's the kind of person who if I saw him on the street I'd be like I don't have any change <laughs> I hear uh, <laughs> but <laughs> um but in this movie um but yeah he's he gets real gross and and yeah and they they do it they get to Sam's place and they do it uh and they continue to see each other and then more proof that Anna's a vampire happens. He's chopping up garlic and she won't even come inside the apartment. So then they go to the rooftop to have sex. What a great uh, shot though. Come on. Them fucking on the roof with the with the steam from the smoke from the barbecue and the New York City skyline good. in the background. Oh. This is pretty good. It was, was nice great. it was a nice sex scene. They they yeah. they fuck a lot. Yeah. Uh and do you, you think you begin to understand why Sam is into this. Do you think they actually fucked on camera yeah because like there what? are movies with unsimulated sex like uh gaspar noe that french director oh, i'm yeah. pretty sure that he's done 
I don't know if I want to say more than he's done at least one movie with unsimulated sex in it. And then there's that movie with Vincent Gallo and uh, Chloe Savini where they have an unsimulated blowjob. I don't know how I feel about unsimulated sex in movies. I just don't. Is it necessary? Is it really necessary? What do you think as a director? Oh, I don't think it's necessary at all. But this movie felt like that Dogma 95. Like, it felt like everyone in the movie knew, like, yeah, we're going to fucking do it. Yeah. And it it felt like whether or not they did, whether or not they did, like, I legit thought for a moment, for several moments in this movie, I was like, yo, they might be fucking. (laughs) Anna is very sexy. There's, yeah. there is something she, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't play her role like I'm a vampire. She right. plays her role like I'm just a really cool, mysterious woman. Yeah. Yeah. You really, despite all the evidence that she's a vampire, it is very easy to understand why Sam would not think that until it's very obvious that she is a vampire. Um, so Sam. <laughs> Sam and him have sex. Uh, Sam meets Liza, his ex-girlfriend, for coffee the next day and tells her that he's, you know, with Anna. Liza's really upset because she did this thing, which is always a bad idea, which is when you break up with someone hoping that by breaking up with them, they're going to somehow become the person that you wanted them to be. And then you can get back together. She thinks if she breaks up with Sam, he's going to stop drinking. And then once he stops drinking, they can be together again. But Sam is a hope. He's a dirtbag hobo. So of course the first thing he's going to do is get with somebody else. I just don't understand these women and their expectations that Sam is going to do anything other than be drunk and do Sam. I completely agree with you in terms of real life, but for this, <laughs> for this movie, it doesn't feel fake in the way that a lot of movies portray it. it he feels still loves like, her. Yeah. But it feels like she kind of, it's one of those things where it's like she had low expectations but high hopes and she does later say when he calls her up and later in the movie she does say like listen you're off the hook like i i i've moved on i'm 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 ready to you know give it up whatever like so i do feel that like it is a very human flaw that a lot of people probably do make this 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 mistake but unlike, like, no, of course, people make this mistake all the time, right? But it doesn't feel ham-fisted like it might feel in a Anna Ferris "What's Your Number" movie. It feel it does feel real because of the way that you know they talk and the way that they. I don't know. It just it, it feels real. This whole movie feels real. No, it feels really, it feels, it feels real, even in the way that it's so clear that his best gal friend, Ray, is so obviously into him, and everybody knows it except for him. Yeah, I don't know. I'd I... Yeah. Or, or did that did that not register to you as super obvious? Because I felt like they were giving us signs through the whole movie. I mean, I I like it is obvious, but at the same time, I feel like this movie does have enough dimensionality to it 
where there could be some other aspect going on there. I don't know. It's hard to describe, but you're right. There obviously she's not totally into Nick. There's problems with Nick and she does trust him as a friend. I feel like maybe there's some other stuff that could be going on, but also I don't have the proof to negate you or to counter you. So you're, you're, you're very much right. She does like him. I don't know if he's clueless to it, but he, he doesn't return. It's not, yeah, it's not the same. It's not the same for him. Um, but while talking to Liza, Sam gets sick. He goes to the bathroom. He comes back. He watches her leave, which is an interesting choice because it's not the same as when he comes back and Anna's gone and it's totally out of his control. He could have made the decision to stop her from leaving, but he lets her go. Yes. Uh, and then we cut to the funeral. Sam gives the eulogy. He gets some drinks. Anna suddenly shows up out of nowhere. They go walking through Central Park. They're chased by wolves. And then Anna causes the wolves to stop chasing them. Uh, and, you know, another another point in the Dracula column. Uh, and then um, they, Sam and Anna run they come up on this car accident and anna just decides to take this little boy to the emergency room like she's not like oh well let's let the paramedics handle it the ambulance is coming it's like no let's take this little boy to the hospital now but i mean she she knows that he's dying because she's a vampire and she can sense people's life force uh, so it, it's an interesting moment because it shows like, yeah, maybe Anna is a vampire, but is she completely without mercy? Is she a stone cold killer or does she have some feelings? You get the sense that Anna does have feelings. Yeah. I also did think it was a little funny. I don't know how intentional this was, but I think it was a little funny how a lot of the onlookers for the guy in the car were like, don't touch him, don't touch him. And then they were like, put him back in. Like, I don't think that's how don't touch him works. Like once he's half hanging out of the car, like, yes, you don't want to touch someone, but also you don't want to like put him back in the car. Right. I that was right. Funny. <laughs> but also that comes back later at the end of the movie. There's a don't touch him moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But all this death makes Anna horny and super horny. So horny. And they go to the storage closet in the hospital to have sex. And while having sex, Anna bites and sucks the blood from Sam's arm. So now Sam is feeling real drained, but he's going to go to this little weekend trip with Nick and Ray at Ray's grandmother's house at the beach. Uh, and so Sam's first night there, he has a dream of Anna coming to him in his sleep and she's kind of all dusty and corpse-like. Uh, and then the next day, Anna just shows up and she's wearing one of the coolest outfits I've seen her in, which is that black turtleneck with the black leather trench coat and the black aviators and her short black hair. She just looks so cool. Yeah. Trinity from the matrix. Come on. (laughs) She's beautiful. She looks, she looks amazing. She looks like she should be at the front row of a fashion show. Yeah. Uh, And, 
noticeably Ray gets jealous and dresses up for dinner and Anna comments on it and she's like, oh, interesting outfit. So yeah, no, there's there's definitely some some competition there. That's why she dressed up. Yeah, she dressed up because Anna showed up and she sees Anna's competition, even though she and Sam aren't even together. So they go to dinner. Sam gets sick after dinner. Uh, and then while uh, Sam and Nick are drinking, Ray and Anna go for a walk and then they they stop somewhere under the rain. And as they're talking about Sam, uh, Ray actually is the one that kisses Anna and then Anna bites Ray's neck. But it just it seems like it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, this is weird. Uh, first of all, there's a scene with a horse, which I thought there's there's a couple connections between Arthur and Habit that I would have never picked up on if it weren't for watching Horses. them back to back. But yeah, like both of these movies have a scene with a horse. I thought that was funny. Um, oh, they both have a carnival scene. Like uh, Arthur mm. has the fake kind of carnival, like an indoor arcade carnival. But yeah, I thought that was I thought that was cute. But um, yeah, I don't get. I totally get because. Uh, Anna makes the first move on Ray and then Ray's feeling weird and confused. And so she might be like, I want to kiss her to see what Sam finds in her. See what the fuss is about. But also Ray doesn't die. Right. Yeah. She doesn't appear later. She does. Yeah. So that was very confusing to me because also Sam sees her in that nightmare vision when he sees what the kid Lenny, so it's like, yeah, Lenny, we, Lenny's obviously dead, right? So Lenny's yeah, his dead. nightmare on the boat. Ray is there in the vision dream boat with him, so it's like, yeah, so Ray is dead, but then she shows up later and she's not dead. So that that moment, you're right, was it was a loose end and it was extremely confusing. Yeah, it's just, yeah, super, super confusing. And then, so Sam is, he feels like he's going nuts. Nick comes over with beer. It's It feels like Nick is always pressuring Sam to drink. And it's like, you know what your problem is? You should drink more. Yeah, he says within two or three sentences of each other, he says, you need to lay off the booze. And then he says, come for a drink. It's the best thing for you. And I don't know if that, it feels like a very intentional character choice where he's like, hey, you really need to lay off the booze. And then Sam is like, I'm really hurting here. He's like, all right, well, you know, maybe we'll put a Band-Aid on it. How about 10 more beers? Right, Um, exactly. And he tries to tell Nick what's going on. And of course, Nick doesn't believe him. And then Nick gets his little vampirism is everywhere monologue. (laughs) That was great. it's hiding in our hearts. Yeah, I bet it's Larry fucking felt cable TV, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Larry is very clever. Very clever, Larry. Um, oh, but also before we move on, uh, this is—I think we we we. Uh, this is after the nightmare scene, which means the instigation of the nightmare scene is that really cool shadow shot where, like, Anna's shadow digs her claws into. Mm-hmm. Sam. Oh, that was such a badass shot. I like that. It reminds me a little bit of um oh god, why am I blinking? Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter yeah. did some really good work with shadows 
where they take uh they take his shadow and kind of uh make it Robert Mitchum is who I yeah. meant, but they take his shadow and make him appear more monstrous. Uh I I really like cinematic tricks like that because you're doing so much with so little. Hey, cheers. Um, mazel tov. What do you say when you pop a champagne? Yeah, I don't know what that <laughs> pop was. Uh, Hopefully not a pipe. I We're past can... pipe bursting stages, right? <laughs> I know. I hope, yeah, you can you can edit that out. Um, but um, Sam tries to call Liza, but when he's talking to Liza, Anna's there, and she makes him hang up the phone. That was cool. And, and then I think, doesn't she immediately make him have sex with her again or something like that? Um, but it, it seems like she's always trying to, to get him to have sex. Um, so then Sam finds his cat dead. Uh, he goes to Liza's apartment. Another May connection. Yeah, another May connection. Uh, he lets himself into Liza's apartment. He sees Liza is also... Uh, been you know slain uh and he's in big trouble he runs out of there he tries to use garlic as protection uh and then he also dumps a bunch of beef steaks on the ground and he licks up the the little meat tray it's really gross he calls nick uh and he thinks that nick is there to help him but it's anna uh, Anna and Sam begin fighting with each other. Uh, he pulls out a rod from the towel rack and Anna pulls a T-1000 and pretends that she's talking to Liza when she's just faking it. Uh, and then she knocks him to the ground again and fucks him again uh you know it's such a, he, don't you hate it when you're being attacked by a female vampire and she just keeps screwing you and then in a in a very awesome callback to when they're like fuck inchworming through the house earlier he fuck yeah, inchworms his way to the towel thing is oh man uh that was so dumb but at that point i was like all right this movie it kind of earned it. it I mean, it we already crossed. We already crossed over into the point. Like we've, <laughs> we've watched these characters fuck so many times that I was completely unfazed to watch them fuck again while they tried to kill each other. Yeah. Uh, and then he locks himself in his bedroom, and at this point, he's you know drained from trying to fight off this vampire. He passes out. Nick is trying to get into the apartment. Meanwhile, Anna is coming in through the window. And just as Nick is bursting into the apartment, Anna and Sam are fighting on the ledge of a window. They both fall. Nick and Ray go down to see the bodies. They see that, you know, Sam is dead. And then uh, Anna's body disappears. And we end on the boat leaving the harbor, and that's it. That's it. In the end. She did a she did a Jason goes to Manhattan, except she uh, left yeah. Manhattan by boat. Right. Um, yeah, I thought it was, and I had I have just recently rewatched Bram Stoker's Dracula, 
by Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, really? Yeah. And that so like, kind of a hot mess. Oof. Um, and so like the, the, the idea of the vampires traveling by boat and, and all that stuff was very, very much on my mind. Well, but, how else can they bring their grave dirt? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the ending unfortunately was a tiny bit underwhelming, but also at this point in the movie, you're like, you can really only end this movie like one of two, maybe three ways. And all three of them going are going to die. All three of them are kind of a letdown. I think the first hour of this movie is its strength. But after that, I was kind of like, all right. Uh, I just don't think there's no, there's no version of this movie where Sam lives. He has to die. Cause he's I a tragic you. hero. I hear you. I hear you. But I don't know. I, yeah, I, I did feel that an hour and 52 minutes was a bit long, but at the same time... It could have been 90. It could have definitely been 90. At the same time, if I'm only going to watch this movie once, which I probably am, not as an insult, I don't mean that as a backhanded compliment, but... If Larry I'm, Fessenden is going to track you down. Go ahead, Larry. I would love to ask you questions about this movie. <laughs> track me down. We can talk about it uh, over a few drinks. And... Uh, and I think an hour and 52 minutes, it, it, that extra 22 minutes gives it just enough breathing room to kind of hit that vibe that it's going for. Because 90 minutes, if this movie was 90 minutes, I would have wanted more, which is to say like May was 90 minutes and I wanted a more oomph to it. But if May was two hours, I might, even though I did not like that movie... I might there there's something about a longer movie that sometimes I don't know. It's sometimes you just have to let it wash over you. This movie very quickly establishes what kind of movie it is and you know that there's not going to be I mean May also establishes we're not going to have a lot of momentum to this movie. But if you know that it's an atmosphere. It's not so right. much about the plot. Yeah, if you know if 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 you know that and establish that very well up front, I I will be a little bit more lenient with some breathing room and because this movie does some stuff that it treads familiar waters, but it also is not like other movies that I've seen. Um Although there's a movie, it's either Martin or Marvin. It's by George Romero, where this guy is like a vampire, but he's not really a vampire. He just, it does, it's not that he thinks he is. It's just that he really wants to be. And it's a very interesting movie. It's if, if anyone listening to this podcast has seen Habit, but hasn't seen Martin or Marvin, watch, watch it. Noted. Yeah. So I gotta ask. Who'd you have a crush on? I had a crush on Ray. I thought really, I really I wanted more. You'd from like her. I. I would have thought you'd like Anna more than Ray. No, because Anna, I. I don't know. You know, I like to. I like to try to go with the not one of the main characters, but also Anna. I don't. I. I felt like I. 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 Let me put it this way: If they made a sequel to this movie. I would much rather follow Ray's character than follow Anna. Like I think Ray Ray could have Ray could have like a Hannah You'll like my remix then. kind of movie. Like I I feel like 
if this movie wasn't a silly movie about vampires, Ray would be the total standout of the movie. And again, Crush is like, Crush is like, uh, Anna is like a, a, a movie date material, whereas Ray is a movie crush material. Like, I have a crush on Ray. Anna is like, no, I straight up have this hypnotic. I am mesmer. I am mesmerized by Anna and want to be in Sam's situation because, like, yeah, that you're ready to throw your life. You're ready to throw your life away for that raw, mysterious female power. That's right. Uh, So, crush material is like. Ray had all of that mysterious stuff without any of the self-destructive nature. I just thought, uh, I don't think this movie needed more Ray, but I would have loved more Ray. So I fixed that problem in my remix. Very nice. I can't wait. How, who was your crush? Cause then we should move into your remix. So my crush in this movie was obviously Sam. I completely (laughs) understand the appeal of Sam, but I also feel like if I have any people in my life who are like Sam, I would probably treat him the way that Ray does, where I would understand objectively that Sam is a poor choice when it comes to a partner. And that's clearly why Ray is not with Sam even though she cares a lot about him and she's jealous of anybody he makes his girlfriend, she understands that Sam is not a good choice for a life partner. Um, But she loves him anyway. Uh, But yeah, I, I don't know. There is something about him in this movie where if I describe this person to a blind man, they'd be like, that sounds awful. Uh, But he's, he's hot. Uh, and I, I admire him as a filmmaker. I think he made some interesting choices. Yeah. I feel like the things he wanted to write about, the things he wanted to show are interesting to me. And he has an interesting perspective when it comes to sexuality. Because I feel like not a lot of men uh, lean into so totally the way that I think some men feel victimized by female sexuality that female sexuality is draining, is consuming, is in some ways infantilizing because he's kind of helpless in yeah. her grasp. He's emasculated. And, you know, there's some filmmakers who get that. Like Hitchcock clearly gets that on a psychic level. Um, and then so does Larry. Yeah, I think it definitely, this is definitely the kind of movie that is not like a vanity project where he's like, I want to write and direct this so I can star in it. It's very much a like, I want to write and direct this and I have no idea how I'm going to communicate this to an actor on this kind of budget and this kind of time schedule. So I'm going to have to do it myself. Yeah. He's reluctantly Um, the only man for this job. Yeah. So I did. Yeah, it does. Even though this movie could feel pretentious up the wazoo there it actually is, doesn't it, yeah it's it really does feel genuine in a really interesting and unique way and i think larry fessenden really he really does bring out the best in this movie yeah he's a agree. good crush agree 
So getting into remix territory, um, I would say that Hobson's Choice, my uh, Arthur (laughs) remix, was easier for me to write. Um, But I, you know, I still had fun with this one. Once Uh, again, once again, the horror was easier for you and the rom-com was easier for me. Uh, it's so, isn't it weird that way? I, yeah, it, it probably has to do with the kind of pressures that we put on ourselves when it's like, oh, well, this is mine. This, so I should be doing this differently. But, um, I, I, I again went for the low hanging fruit. I called it good habits. All right. Uh, and the plot is similar to saving Silverman in that it's about Sam's female friends and ex-girlfriend needing to rescue him from the bloodthirsty vampire femme who wants to turn him into a normie. So kind of like how, um, Amanda Pete is trying to, you know, turn, Silverman into this, you know, kind of dopey conservative guy and his friends hate that because, you know, no, Silverman, you love Neil Diamond. You're a weirdo. Of course, Sam's female friends and his ex, they do love Sam for who he is. They don't want a cleaned up version of Sam. That's not like if Larry Fessenden took away all his bad boy (laughs) edges, there would be nothing attractive about him. Um, but he's still, you know, Sam is a washed up alcoholic bar manager whose life is falling apart, but his best friend, girl next door, Ray, and his ex-girlfriend, they still love him very much. And then one day he meets Anna. Sam thinks Anna is the perfect girl, but what he doesn't know is that Anna is a vampire. Oh. But... She's not just any vampire. She is one of the brides of Dracula tasked with building Dracula's undead army by turning men into vampires. Anna sees Sam as a perfect candidate for one of Dracula's soldiers. And while to the outside world, it appears like she's just another controlling girlfriend, she's changing Sam's good habits to good habits and, you know, doing all of this, making him dress nicer, stop drinking, get a corporate job so that she has him in better shape as a recruit because, you know, say not uh, Dracula's army has to pay their dues. You right. know, they need to be in good shape. You know, they they, they have to, to have a, a, their life together. And so it's really she's she's more like a general uh, and uh, on the outside. Liz and Ray think that Sam is just being taken away from him. Then, you know, they're, they're losing him. Um, so they start trying to sabotage the relationship, just like in Saving Silverman. I like it. Uh, and then they follow Sam and Anna to Battery Park, and they try to scare them with wolves. But then, of course, Anna can control the wolves. So now, what are they going to do now? And then, so they try to make Anna fall for Lenny instead, because, well, any, Lenny plays music. Lenny's cool. Maybe Sam will like Lenny, because he's kind of like Sam, but not. Uh, but then Lenny disappears, uh, and then now they're just really worried. They don't know what to do. So then they try to get Nick to talk to Sam. 
But the problem is that Nick has secretly resented Sam for years because Nick knows that Ray has a crush on Sam. And then Nick wants Sam to stay with Anna because if Sam stays with Anna, then he gets to have Ray. So when Sam admits that he thinks Anna might be a vampire, Nick convinces him he's just acting loco. Uh, And meanwhile... Anna is getting dressed down by Dracula, her boss, because she's falling behind her sister wives when it comes to her quota. It's like, get it together, Anna. We need more soldiers for the undead army. So I I would think that, in you know, whereas being a vampire is very moody and serious in the horror version, I think in the comedy version, I would like the idea that um, being a vampire feels like a job and working for Dracula is kind of a drag and Dracula's undead army isn't so much an army so much as maybe they're people who farm Bitcoin or just, you know, it's, it's like, it's not, it's not as glamorous or sexy as you would hope a vampire to be. It's more like soulless corporate garbage. Um, so now Anna's got the pressure on, she's got to go to Sam's place and, and get him, get him indoctrinated. And, you know, as Sam is, oh, sorry, as Anna is going to Sam's place, Liz and Ray also decide that they have to go to Sam's place to confront him. And then Nick, as he's leaving, sees Anna and tells her, do your worst. So we can assume that Nick knows that Anna is actually a vampire, but he just wants Sam out of the way at this point. Anna is kind of, kind of notes this and thinks, you know, hmm, well, I, maybe I should be looking at Nick. You know, he seems like a good candidate for the undead army. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Anna still goes to Sam's place. She reveals her true nature. And Sam says, I knew you were sucking the life out of me. <laughs> <laughs> and then Liz and Ray arrive in time to help. And the three of them push Anna out a window. Mm-hmm. Uh, they see her body, but then of course they look away and look back and it's gone. Uh, and now Liz demands that Sam choose between her and Ray and Ray pulls there's something about Mary and says, this is stupid and leaves. She doesn't want to be a part of any situation where Sam is forced to choose because it's not about that, blah, blah, blah. So of course she leaves, but she's really sad about it. So she cries and Sam catches up to her and says, you know, it's a good habit to be honest about the way you feel so I want to start by sharing that I love you. Uh, and they, of course, she says she loves him too. And then they end up together, which is, you know, as things should be, Sam is going to start forming good habits, but maybe he won't lose all of that bad guy edge. He won't fix his teeth. Well, we'll you know, he, he keeps a little bit of that edge. Uh, and then we get an epilogue of Nick drinking alone and Anna coming up to him at the bar saying she chose the wrong guy. And then Nick says, how would you know you did too? And then Anna will give him that vampire look and say, I know I'm with the right one now before she takes a bite of his neck. Gar. Oh, happily ever after. Yeah, for everyone. Anna yeah. got her Anna got her recruit. Right. So she won't end up in a Glengarry Glen Ross monologue <laughs> with Dracula. And Sam and Ray ended up together. Yeah. 
I like it. Yeah. What more could you want? Yeah, that, that I mean, that's it. And I just, I don't know. I like the idea of the brides of Dracula not being brides, but again, being multi-level marketing scheme right, right. <laughs> agents. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely have a lot of, I have a similar kind of gimmick where it's just like, here's a vampire gimmick. Um, and yeah, it's just like, yeah, here's a world in which you could just have a right, like a whole week's worth of writer's room jokes just being pitched and mm-hmm. built up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, and you, you definitely had me at Saving Silverman. Sure. <laughs> I know you like Saving Silverman. <laughs> Such a great, I should have picked that one instead of Just Friends, but not really. I, I do like it's Just not, Friends It's lot. not too late. It's not too late for like us to come back to uh, Saving Silverman eventually. Um, I hope so. I definitely hope so. Um, I don't have a great title for mine. I'm just going to go with Blood Donor. I don't know. But I'm going to go with Sam and Anna. Uh, Sam is going to be played by Andy Samberg, who I love. He's also hot. Okay. Interesting. Can I ask you a question? Who? Yeah, what? (laughs) Is... Woody Harrelson hot or attractive? Sometimes. That scene where he eats spaghetti in that HBO show, um, Detect what is it called? True True Detective. Detective? Yeah, Yeah, the the spaghetti scene in True Detective, if anybody remembers that, is very, very unattractive. Right. Um, but yeah, Woody Harrelson has had other roles and times where he's been attractive, spaghetti aside. All right. Yeah, he came up in a sitcom and one of the characters was flirting with him. And I was like, she she started flirting with him right off the bat. And I was like, is he attractive to Sonia? And Sonia said, oh, yeah. And I said, really? She's like, oh, yeah, he's super charming. I said, no, don't get me wrong. Woody Harrelson is super duper charming. But is he attractive? So I don't know. I'd, I'd love to hear people's thoughts on that. Um because like Andy Sam, I wouldn't consider Andy Samberg an attractive guy, but I think he's a funny guy, and I don't think he's bad looking. He's cute. He's really cute. He's got he he he's definitely grown into his looks. He's matured because in Hot Rod, he looks like a doofy man child, which is perfect. Um, but so Sam is played by Andy Samberg, which means Anna is going to be played by Kristen Milioti because I thought they had really good chemistry in Palm Springs. Ooh. Uh, so we live in a vampire society where vampires are out in the open. And oh. I, I think this is like True Blood. I've never seen True Blood, but I'm going to have yeah, like, vampires are out in True Blood. Right. So you have like Coke and Pepsi and then you have blood, which is B-L-U with the two dots over it D. So you have like a drink where they drink their bloods and there's like A positive, B negative, And there's like different flavors. Uh, I'm sure true. I'm sure everyone else is like, yeah, true detective already did that, but I've never seen it. So I did it first. Um, So then we're going to have a bachelor type show (laughs) where humans go onto the show to willingly sacrifice themselves to be sucked on live. Sadly, I feel like people would totally do this if vampires were real. A hundred percent. And so, I don't know, there's going to be some prize where, like, maybe you get put, a, like, a statue on a thing and it's like, oh, I want to be famous or whatever. It, so, the thing is, uh, there's this Bachelor-type show, and 
Andy Samberg is a failed writer. So he decides I've got nothing left to live for. I've been, I've been living this low key indie writer life my whole life. I've been super poor. I've never got to go out and party with my friends. Cause I could never even afford uh, the, the Metro fare to get there. Right. He's, he's tried to idolize that, that indie poor writer's life. And so and- he wants to be poor. I mean, he he wants to be poor, but he wants to hit it big with his novel and then become super rich, right? But he's never hit it super rich, or it's not happening fast enough, or whatever. So the thing is, he's going to be on the show. He says, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to go on the show, I'm going to live it up, I'm going to party, I'm going to have one big final party, and whatever. So he has to pick a vampire to suck his blood, and he's got to narrow his choices from 12 down to 1. And so... Each vampire has a date night set up with him, right? And so, I don't know if it's 12. That might be too many, but whatever. I didn't know vampires could be so romantic. Yeah, so the vampires go on dates with him, and it's, like, fun. Because, you know, every vampire wants to woo him. And so how do vampires woo people? They, like, hypnotize them and memorize them. But they also, like, give you what you want. Right. So he wants to just party. So every vampire is like, yeah, let's go out to the club, drink, 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 shot, shot, shots, drinking, drinking, party and party. And yeah, let's go out to this place. And like they just drink everywhere. And so then Anna's the last one. And like Anna's always kind of off in the corner. Like maybe they have the girls around, the other girls around on the dates just for drama. Right. Like reality TV show producers love to just mix things up. Um, so Anna's always like kind of mysterious and off in the background. And then Anna is the last one to go on a one-on-one date with him. And she doesn't give him the date that he wants. She gives him the date he needs. Nice. I don't know what that date is, but it sounds good when I say it like that. So a nice walk in battery park followed by a handy. Yeah, you know it. Um, and so then we have, uh group dates where like now the reality show is starting to to kick into high gear where it's like now let's mix them all up and make them do stuff together um and so on the group dates some of the vampire girls start to or ladies start to disappear and then anna and sam start to also kind of form this weird connection where they actually start to like click on a intimate level. And so then Sam gets to know more about uh, Anna, which is she wants to be an actress, but she was a failed actress. That's why she's part of this show, which is like her agent was like, listen, you got to pay the bills. Right. So she's kind of in the same scenario where she wants to do art. Being a vampire actress is tough. Oh yeah. And so we also like your, like yours with the, um, with the sort of MLM business world, just make that money kind of gimmick. We can also have crew on the reality show disappearing because the vampires keep eating them. And so like the line producer or whatever has to like keep hiring new staff and is like the staff is constantly in flux. So the show is always in chaos because it's like, hey, script, or I guess you wouldn't have a script supervisor on a reality show, but like, hey, camera operator, hey, did we get this footage from yesterday? And he's like, I don't know, I wasn't here yesterday. Like, what happened to the guy from yesterday? I don't know, he disappeared. And so it's silly. This is a very silly movie. You don't feel bad when every, anyone disappears, because it's a cartoon. Um, 
So then when it comes to the big night, you got the two roses or whatever we do vampire wise. Um, He's got to hand it out. Uh, They they do this big build up and then they draw the curtain to reveal that only one of the vampire ladies is there. And Sam and Anna have run off together. Uh Oh, so now we have uh the 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 head of the network is like this is unacceptable this is all about ratings uh we own these two right this contracts we own them we have if, if they want to be Sounds together like the network executive yeah if they want to be together they have to be together on camera because the because now like the <laughs> next season of whatever it's or you know we we want that that quote unquote money shot right of her sucking his blood like In that's perpetuity. what the people want <laughs> So then they bring in like a ratings fixer type show fixer guy or whatever who is called Helsing, of course. And Helsing is played by Frank Grillo, who we talked about on last episode. Because why not? He's, he always spices everything up. He's, and he's a badass. So uh, Sam and Anna go to Anna's mom. Right? And so it's one of those funny things of like they bust in the door and they're like, Mom, Mom, we've got like, we're in trouble. We got these people chasing blah, blah. And the mom's like, I already know. And like, what? And she's like, sweetie, of course I know. I've been watching the show. You don't think I know that you two have fallen in love and been sneaking off and stuff? And she's like, I, I watched the show. And she's like, why do you watch that crap? And she's like, honey, I watch everything you're in. I'm always going to support you. She's like a good mom. Oh. Right? So it's very cute. It's very nice. And she's like, no, I'm all caught up. You got me. I, I, I'll i help you guys out. So she helps them out. However, she's got to do it. And then they end up going to Sam's parents' house. And Sam's parents' house, his parents are dead. So this is kind of like uh, Carol Burnett, right? Is like comedy is tragedy plus timing, right? Sam is afraid to confront his parents' death, which is why he's always like writing shitty novels or whatever he's writing plays or scripts. He's always writing shitty scripts. Cause he's trying to do, I I've done this in another couple of my movies before, right? Like the artist is trying to, to do something inauthentic, but then once he reaches it, once he's, once he confronts his parents' mortality and the fact that they're dead and whatever, he he's able to reach in and, and discover his inner artist but Frank Grillo is a fucking badass, right? Crossbones, Avengers. So he captures Sam and Anna, brings them back to the head of the network. We get the whole head of the network live shooting this thing on stuff. And then the head of the network gives a very the network X speech. That's like Nick's speech <laughs> in, uh, in Habit, which is like, like, you think this is all about me? Like, no, this is about the network, the conglomerate that is network television. It feeds on views. We have to feed the beast and, like, the machine. Like, the network is the real vampire. Yeah, the building is actually alive and possessed, and it feeds off of the souls, and, like, it sucks people's souls and will to live through the television and stuff. So what... Anna does is Anna gives a very kind of like Night of the Living Deb speech where she like talks to the audience through mm-hmm. the camera and she's like listen the only way we can have like you guys are all invested in our relationship but the only way we can have a relationship is if you let us go so you have to turn off the TV and so like as she's giving the speech we see the the views 
like you know they have a big view counter in the network studio oh, it's going down it's going down so it's like oh but then it goes down to all but one and they're like no we just need one more person to turn off the television and then anna's like wait i know she turns at the camera and she's like mom you gotta turn off the tv and then they all look at the thing and it's like one to zero and it's like oh the mom didn't want to turn off the tv because she wants to support her daughter it's like it's a cute little moment but they turn off the tv the whole network shuts down the building starts to collapse everyone runs away and then we get a cute little moment of like maybe the the producer who has to or the casting the the crew hirer has who has to keep filling all these positions and is constantly pulling out their hair because they're like, where am I going to keep finding these camera operators? Um, Sam kind of says like, you know, actually Sam and, and Anna are both, both like, you know, I kind of feel bad because we just took away a bunch of people's jobs. We destroyed this whole network. Right. And then the, the, the hirer, the, the crew hirer is like, wait, I don't have to hire any more people to feed these vampires. Thank God. Like you did me a favor, like you saved a bunch of people because now we we aren't just feeding these these poor people to these vampire cast. Jason Alexander would be great in a role like that. I can see that. I can see that. Thank um, you. Thank you. <laughs> and so then maybe like, you know, we cut to like one year later and then it's like an off Broadway show and Kristen Milioti, Anna is like giving some big monologue speech and then it's like Andy Samberg's off in the wings and then like we see the playbill and it's like blah 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 starring maybe it's like called blood donor my true story or whatever and it's like starring <laughs> Anna written by Sam and it's like oh, oh they're, they're doing the play based on their lives yeah it's like oh so now yeah so that's that's blood donor <laughs> cute it's cute very cute yeah I like it <laughs> I like it too. I like I like the countdown. I like yeah. the mom character. You can't go wrong with a meddling mom character. It's super easy to make satisfying beats when you don't actually have to flesh them out. <laughs> I would agree with that. You know, it's a lot less work and right. work is not fun. But no. you know what is fun? Drinking and reviewing and rating our podcast. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on the social medias, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and have a drink in your honor. Yeah, shots for every five-star reviews. One shot for every star. Oh, my God. Well, I'd say a shot for every five-star review. I'd say a shot for every star, baby. Okay, well, we'll leave that to you, and I'll do a shot for every five-star review. But until then, we'll have to just leave you with some recommendations, some love bites. What love bites you got for us today? Well, every once in a while, I really, 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 like, I do I do stretch the, the definition of horror sometimes, like, I yes. do. I do stretch the definition of horror sometimes, which I have no, we both have no problem with, but I really wish I could have stretched the definition of horror and somehow found it, uh, found a way to 
squeeze in my favorite drunken movie of all time, which is The Legend of the Drunken Master, the 1990 <gasps> 94 version. I was going to recommend that this week, too. Oh, oh. what a movie. <laughs> okay, so this look, is a first, right? I'll just this tell, yeah, be. this is absolutely a first, except for the time. Well, I recommended Running Scared, but you were just like, I, I agree. backed it up, right? Yeah, um, but no, this time I, because I keep. Because I'm organized, I keep a recommendation doc, and I wrote down Burt Bacharach, which is what I recommended last episode. And then the other thing I wrote down was Legend of the Drunken Master. Tell just you you do you sell it, Brett. Tell them why they need to see it. Jackie Chan is a prolific filmmaker, not just a stuntman, but a prolific film maker a choreographer a, a actor i don't know or um, a director an actor a stuntman a, a choreographer if i hadn't already said that but he so many hyphens so many of them and he's got absolutely fantastic comedic timing and he's charismatic as fuck so Very jackie cute. chan jackie chan is the man and he's got a lot of great movies i would say it it would be hard to pick my favorite number two Jackie Chan movie, but my favorite number one movie, without a doubt, is Legend of the Drunken Master. This movie is a masterpiece of action movie choreography. The final fight has got to be top five final fights of any movie of all time. And Sonia had never seen a Jackie Chan movie before she had started dating Oh, this me. is the first one she saw? No, but uh, I think I showed her. This was like a question that I asked Nick, who uh, friend of the show, guest of the show. Me and Nick grew up loving Jackie Chan, so it's like a it's a, it's a cool conversation for Jackie Chan fans. Like, what do you show someone who's never seen a Jackie Chan movie? What do you show them for the first one? Rumble uh, in the Bronx. I think that's the one I ended up going with, but Nick says First Strike, which is also a pretty solid one um for for a first time view um but i mean she might have seen like rush hour i think but like so she saw maybe one but the point is she hadn't seen many so i showed her a couple of jackie chan movies and of course everyone likes the hollywood jackie chan right but i didn't know if she was gonna like the straight up martial arts jackie chan and and jackie chan has that's jackie chan in his purest form Right, but Jackie Chan has a crap ton of pure martial arts movies. And some of them are not comedic at all. And some of them do mix in comedy. A lot of them do mix in comedy. But I was like, I don't think Sonya is going to like the more straight up ones. So I said, I'm not going to show her any of those straight up ones, right? Like, I'm not going to show her Fearless Hyena or Spiritual Kung Fu or Snake Shadow Crane. Like, I'm not going to show her any of those. But... Even though I don't think she's going to like it, I am going to show her Legend of the Drunken Master because fuck it. Like if if that's one of those movies that when we're first dating, it's like this is a litmus test. If you hate, you don't have to like it, but if you hate it, I'm calling it off, I'm calling it quits. And Sonya loved it, man. She loves Jackie Chan. She cannot get enough of Jack. One of the, what, uh, you, you know how I knew Sonya was the one? Was, was when... I was over hanging out at her house one time and she was like, when are we going to watch our next Jackie Chan movie? Sonia, I said, Sonia, will you marry me? And she said, no, I think marriage is a terrible thing. 
And that's what she said to me. <laughs> um, Sonia was anti-marriage. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, this movie, I cannot praise this movie enough. This movie, I mean, just go watch the trailer and, and, and be amazed by, by the, by the choreography. And then again, like you're mixing in a very satisfying story with great comedy and world-class top-notch martial arts. It is, it is mind-blowing. This movie is perfect. This movie is perfect. I love it. I'm, I love that you love it. It is a really good movie. It's definitely one of the best Jackie Chan movies. I, you know, couldn't have said it better myself. Wholeheartedly second that recommendation. Go watch Legend of the Drunken Master because it's last call here at Necromancer and the lights are up and it's time to go home. Closing time. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.